Hello and welcome to Martially Motivated. I am your host, Dan Burrell with Burrell Martial Arts. Uh, it has been a while since I've done one of these podcasts. Uh, COVID made a, made a big stink of things uh, with the studio. I had to put a lot of extra time into that as well as uh, get my book finished and published and out there and whatever else, uh, trying to cram everything in uh, on 24 hours a day and try and sleep has been difficult. But uh, uh, Brett and I uh, got one together recently and uh, we talked about a, a lot of different things uh, as far as who our influences have been. Uh, we both train with a lot of different people over the years and uh, everybody we train with gives us an influence. And I, we named a lot of people but you could triple that name count and still wouldn't be enough. We, we've, we've gotten a lot of influences from a lot of different people. Uh, it's great. There, there's some great martial artists out there. Uh, and we've had the pleasure of working with a lot of them. So we started off topic with that, and then uh, we discussed uh, whether or not you should uh, teach a technique that you don't understand. Um, and specifically, we was ta- discussing a, a technique in uh, our, they'll say kata, uh, for us it's pumze or tol, uh, a form, a pattern. Uh it was something that came up recently, and uh, whether or not you teach it or what. Uh, so we, we went down uh, that road and discussed that for a little bit. So uh, other than that, uh, you'll find out along the way. We, we, we discussed quite a bit, so I hope you enjoy it. We're going to talk. Uh, we'll see where, where it all goes. We, I haven't done a martial arts podcast in a while, trying to find... Uh, Topics that the average person, the average student would want to listen to. And <laughs> so most of the stuff I like getting into is like really in-depth stuff that probably only other instructors would even understand. Well, like the, but... <laughs> the videos you and I were shooting going back and forth on that one technique the other day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to remind me of that. That's the next thing I want to talk about. I forgot about that because I, I want to go a little more in-depth on that. Uh, about whether or not to teach something that you don't understand. Oh, absolutely. You so, teach something you don't understand. Yeah. So let's come back to that one. Oh, I, so going into uh, both you and I have had, and I think most people that have been in martial arts for a while have had multiple instructors mm-hmm. or multiple people that have taught you in general, not necessarily a formal. Influenced you in yeah, some way. There yeah, there you go. So uh, what have you, what are the, the big influences been for you? Well, you know, for me, how long have you been doing this now, Dan? Uh, I've been training since 93. Was that 28? God, I can't do math. 28, 29, somewhere around there. For me, it's 89. But but we started about the same age because I'm I'm a few years years older than you. So Mm -hmm. we're about the same age when we started. Um. My first instructor was a guy, Brian Cox, and he basically... I'd taken taekwondo before that. I got up to red belt, but I was a small child, like mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11. Um, I was uh, just about turned four... No. I was just about to turn... I was 14 when I started or about to turn 15 in a few months. And uh, and so my first instructor wanted to teach from home. He was He was training in Jacksonville, and he wanted to teach here. And he really was, he was a first degree black belt. He knew enough to teach kids, and he t- started a small kids class. And I was with him for uh, ten, nine, ten years. I was the only person, he eventually had an adult class, and in all of his classes, I was the only person who ever made black belt. He, we, and we never promoted a single woman even to yellow belt in that class. <laughs> he was so hard on women, so hard on everybody, so hard, so a difficult person. 
I've always thought I had to have been somewhat masochistic to have made black belt in that school. <laughs> but I did, and, and I have videos of them beating me up and you know all kinds of stuff. I mean, just getting punched in the face and out of anger. But, <laughs> but, but I love martial arts, and I stayed with it. And, and I learned the basics there. Um, he kind of folded because he, he got real successful in other stuff and, and uh, stopped doing karate. And then I took a couple of years and trained here and there, but then I met up with uh, John Mazenhelder. And uh, and I will talk about him a lot in a second. But I also started training with Tim Cunningham. Tim Cunningham was Nishinruist. I was with him for about 10 years. It did not end well because mm. he and I have some philosophical differences on how to run a dojo that were different. And uh, it we're friendly enough now, but it was rough for a, a while. But uh, from him, I learned to be a perfectionist about certain things. Um, what I don't, didn't like about him was he was the type of person that was... All you need to know about martial arts is Ishinru. You don't need anything else. Everything's right here. Ishinru mm. is the ultimate fighting art. Uh, you have everything you need within our school. It's not true. <laughs> not not at the master level, especially. Um, but John Mazenhelder was someone who basically took me in, adopted me, treated me like one of his own. I trained with him with weapons at first. I did weapons with him from 2000 until his death in 2014 from cancer. And uh, then I also did Shitaru with him, and I made black belt in Shitaru also. And, and I just trained general martial arts with him, all kinds of stuff. I learned more from him than anybody because I learned how to treat my black belts. Don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Treat them like family, not like subordinates. And there's still a lot of martial artists that treat their black belts like, like subordinates and not like brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, he was funny. He made class fun. It was different every time. It was, he was interesting. He told a good story. Uh, he, if a move didn't work, he said, if "You need to make this work." Mm-hmm. There's no because I man, dude. I don't know about you, but I was told some really stupid stuff growing <laughs> up, man. I mean, it's concepts of. Yeah, in Sanchen, you're ripping someone's skin apart. Well, well, Sensei, I can't do that. You're not training hard enough. Well, it was total bullcrap. It, it will never work. I, mean, I was taught this one move, dude, where the move f- ends with your hands crossed. And my instructor had told me, your hands are crossed because you're blocking someone's forearm and you're breaking their forearm with your hand. I'm not joking. I couldn't make this work on a, on a four-year-old, let alone an adult. I mean, but this was the stuff we were taught. And Mazenhelder was like, no, that's not what you're doing. He, let me show you what you're doing. And he always had a good answer. Man, it set me on fire. Died in 2014. And I started working with Hanshi Isaac. And I've been with him ever since. And same deal. He's in the exact same mold as Mazenhelder. Always has an answer. Always challenges me. Always. Also, one thing I love about Mr. Isaac, and as his friend on top of his student, is he calls me. Mm-hmm. Just, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a week. I, I'm, I want to know how, man, dude. When I was going through my divorce, he called me daily. <laughs> how are you doing? Or, is everything okay? You can come up here and stay with me. Come live with me. Uh, I'll take care of you. What What do you need? <laughs> are, are Are you okay? It was. It was. I was like, Sensei, I'm fine. I'm fine. I promise. I'm. I'm good. I've, I've been through this before. It's. It's okay. Uh, I'll call you if I need you. I promise. But he's such a caring and loving person. You know how he is, man. The guy's mm-hmm. got an encyclopedic knowledge. Yeah. Um, I have so many books that he has given me that I, I've still got to get through. But I've also learned other things. Some awesome pressure point and and, and, and nerve manipulation stuff from Rick Moneymaker. Um, don't do as much of that now. Um, from Denny Schaefer, who, who you've mm-hmm. met and interviewed. 
I, I really revolutionized some of my fighting techniques. It's a shame he's a psycho. <laughs> Dude, I mean, every, I mean, God knows. I, 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 you look at his page. He's constantly threat. I mean, he still threatens me every once in a while on his page. I haven't talked to the guy live in like six or seven years. Still threatens me. He's getting close to 80 now. Still threatens me. Still claims he's going to beat me up. And, Man, there's this. this, this I mean, like, those of you who don't know this guy. Who's like seventy two years old. I saw him bench press like three hundred five pounds. He's like superhuman. And but when a guy's like in his seventies, I'm forty six. If he like attacks me somewhere, and let's say I, I beat him up, you just beat up a dude that's, that's almost eighty. But what if he beats me up? I mean, you just got beat up by a dude that's almost eighty. There is no winning this no. situation. And, and so you know, oh garbage. So, you know, a lot of things, I'd say, but when it comes down to it, I learned basic karate from Brian Cox. The finishing touches of my style from Tim Cunningham. How to be a black belt from John Mazenhelder. How to be a master level instructor from Larry Isaac. How to punch someone's face really, really hard and effectively (laughs) from Denny Schaefer and also... How to just ignore people that threaten to beat you up regularly. <laughs> just let it go and, and not, not to look at the internet so much. Um, and, and then, you know, some other fine touches from uh, from Doug Perry, Hanshi Doug Perry, who's awesome, and Mr. Bill Hayes, and and um, and a lot of other master instructors. I've had a, a lot of luck to work out with. Mm-hmm. How about you? I mean, I know you started with... Uh, in, in, in Nebraska, yes, the, the most interesting place in the world to drive through. <laughs> God, that's <an> awful place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was. Uh, we're about the same age. I, I was. It was my brother had got me into it for my 14th birthday. But we went down there a little bit, like a month or two early. So I was technically 13, but going on 14. Uh, and he had actually asked me a year or two earlier if I wanted to go train. And it was at a karate school, and uh, for whatever reason, I said no. I, I still don't remember why, because I I loved it. Like I, we'd watch Bruce Lee movies. We'd like Bloodsport, all of the Van Damme. I love that. Bloodsport's a great movie. Love to, it. To, Frank Dukes is a total <laughs> huckster, but but what a great movie! What a it great is. Movie. So we watched that stuff together. We. All about it. I the Karate know, Kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm still watching the, the, the new episodes yeah, of the I, I Cobra too. Kai. It's great. How can you be a martial artist yeah. and not, not like that? I think it's fantastic. Awesome. And um, But for whatever reason, I said no. And it ended up that studio, I think, shut down, kind of, sort of. Uh, and then this new studio popped up, which is when I said yes. Uh, and I found out in college... I actually ended up meeting that other instructor because he was my professor. He, he was my architectural uh, professor. So I ended up getting to talk to him, pick his ear, pick his brain a little bit about karate. And so I still got a chance to not necessarily physically train with him, but talk to him. Uh, so that was cool. But um, my brother, I think he had gotten a flyer on his car about uh, classes and First thing he saw, he saw Taekwondo on there, but he also saw Hapkido. He's like, "What the hell's Hapkido? Never heard of that." And so it, it said something about joint locks and throws and chokes, and he's like, "Oh, that is amazing! Like that's what I want to get into." And so uh, we went down to the studio, met with the instructor, 
And it, we watched the first class. I think they were doing Hapkido at the time and loving it. And we're like, let's do it. Like, what do we got to do to sign up? And the instructor is like, um, well, you can't. It's like, I, I'll let, you know, my brother, he was 13 years older than I was. So he was in his 20s, mid-20s, late 20s, something like that. He's like, I'll allow him in, but you're too young. Like we now all, your older brother is his name is Michael. Michael, okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's Rory. He's mm-hmm. the middle child. And you're the baby, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How much older is Rory than you? About nine years older than me. Because you're really the baby. Oh, yeah. Then okay. Yeah. Right on. Yep. So uh, he let my brother in, but he's like, "You're just you're too young. I only teach adults, and basically everybody in here is law enforcement because that's he was SWAT team leader, so that mm-hmm. he'd bring in his SWAT team and they train and." Uh, the so he's like if you really want to do something do taekwondo first like kind of build up all your bases from there all, all the same stuff still going to apply the kicks the strikes you'll get great footwork out of there and so I'm like oh okay and I never really got into taekwondo at the time I just kind of did it to try and get into hapkido and right. then we'd get home and my my brother would show me all the hapkido stuff <laughs> So I'd learn all this brother. stuff, yeah. <laughs> I learned it anyway, but uh, after about a year, he he had talked to his instructor. Uh, and, and you'd had a year to impress him and yeah, show him you were serious. He knew that I, I one, was good, and two, I, I wasn't going to use it for weird reasons. I, I actually was just really into it, and he saw that, and I was mature about it. So he's like, all right, I'll let you in, but understand, we can't slow down for you. Like, <laughs> I was... My height now, which is 5'10", and like 120 pounds. <laughs> About pencil. Yeah. yeah. He's, and everyone else is like in their 30s and like 250, <laughs> very active. He's like, you, you're going to take some hits. Like, just step off the side or something when you get hurt, but don't slow down class. And I think it took me like a week to get a first concussion. Just got dropped right on my head. Get real quick on that. <laughs> Doesn't it irk you? Every man, dude... The kids nowadays don't know what a concussion is. No. Holy cow. Some of the shots I took to the head. I'm sorry. I think kids today that would die from yeah. the shots we took in the head. I'm not interrupting <laughs> your flow. But holy cow, man. Sometimes a kid will say, I think I've got a concussion. From that? No way, man. You got a freaking head made of marshmallows? I mean, holy cow. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got, uh, I was sparring with somebody who's only a couple rakes higher than me, and I, I knew kicking and striking. That's why he let me spar. Normally, he wouldn't let somebody, a white belt, spar. But, uh,. I'm like, I'm going to kick this guy. And he grabbed it as if it had no force whatsoever. Just grabbed with his arm, grabbed me by the lapel, picked me up, slammed me down. That's all I remember until I wake up and his face is right in mine. He's like, uh, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good. It's like, all right. He pulls me up. We start going again. Does it again. <laughs> so I, I was good the first time, but not now. But the, the amount of times I wanted to vomit at sparring in that class was amazing. But... Uh, it was great. I so I learned a lot about you got to toughen up quick uh, in, during that class. Right, and um, my instructor made you a much better martial artist. Oh yeah, uh, my instructor, direct instructor was uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Master Fred Fred Roskins, and <clears throat> he was a law enforcement, so he was on call a lot and couldn't make it to all the classes. So a lot of times it was somebody else, one of the other black belts teaching. Uh, just going off material, and uh, but when he came in, he was just on a different level when he taught compared to the you know first and second degrees that we're teaching, uh, and we always went off the page. I learned so much self defense 
from him. Not just curriculum on how to throw a punch or... See, that's, that's like line. every time I work out with Mr. Isaac, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. It was... Those are those are the good times. Those are the oh, golden yeah. moments. Yeah, because you get your, your, the first, second degree assistant. It's like, okay, spread off, start working on your form. And like, okay, so everyone's separate and just doing a, a form, a kata, basically. Uh, but when he came in to train, it's like, I don't care what rank you are. Come grab here. a partner, and we're all going to throw down. We're all going to do this, and you'd learn, okay, if you're on the ground and they're smashing your face in the ground, and you're, here's what you're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> All right, get out the knives. I'm going to show you <laughs> something. It was just that type of stuff. It's just no BS, stuff that he physically had to do in the streets on a regular basis. He's like, I know this works. I did it last weekend. Yeah. You know, that type of stuff. So I learned a lot about that uh, in the mental side of self-defense and what you're going to go through when your back's against the wall, the, the, the flight or flight SNS kicking in. And so I, that was where I really learned about self-defense. And uh, that he's always been my biggest influence uh, as far as martial arts. Uh, and the only official instructor I've ever had. Then I've trained with other instructors uh, in the association. Uh, like uh, Master Hilden's another great one that I talked to. And we've worked together with some stuff. Uh, never officially trained, but uh, bounce things off him all the time. He's always got great advice. And uh, then their instructor, who was the, the president of the association at the time, uh, Master Brooks. Uh, there's a lot there. I did physically train with him once I got a black belt. He was kind of my black belt instructor. Right. And But he was on a different level as well. He, you spend five minutes with him, and it felt like you spent a week training with him. But it was also pins and needles. You thought you were going to get your ass kicked at any Second. See, that's what it was like with Mr. Schaefer. Mm-hmm. I liked him, but man, he'd come to my dojo. Someone would like... I remember one time I had a student that... Well, one time he beat up one of my students. <laughs> and because he didn't like the way the guy was resisting. And then he terrified everybody else. Now, he, he t- retells that story like like my student attacked him. Uh. But I know, I know. Just, I, yeah. I, I, but another one that I liked that was really funny was... Um, uh, one of my old students, he's actually deceased now, he passed away from a heart attack, right after Mr. Schaefer literally attacked and beaten up one of my students. So Mr. Schaefer, here he is like six foot two and like 250 pounds, and my student's like five foot five and like a, a buck 40, you know, and he still brags about beating up my guy. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but he's, he's, he's doing a move on my second. He's like, are you resisting me? And Michael just was not flexible. He's like, no, sir, I'm not resisting you. I just do not bend at all. <laughs> just, anyway. But yeah, it was the same with pins and needles, man. You always yeah. thought, am I going to make this guy mad? Is he going to yeah. try to murder me? It, it was. It, it, I, the way I describe him, compared to most instructors, he, you, you came out of his class one of two ways. Because he put so much pressure on you that you either crumbled and your martial arts career was over, and you gave up on everything and life, <laughs> or he put so much pressure on you that you turned into a diamond. Yeah. There was nothing in between. His black belts were top-notch. There was right. no, oh, that guy's a black belt, he must have just paid his fees type of thing. It was, oh, they were what did all he good. do to get the black belt? They were amazing on every level about it. And uh, he, too, was a defensive tactics instructor. Like, the, the guy knows self-defense. And he was a kickboxer for years. Uh, just... Like, even cancer couldn't beat that guy. <laughs> he beat that and moved on. Uh, incredible, but, you know, just stubborn as hell. And uh, to the point where uh, him and my instructor and the whole association split because he was just not willing to change anything. 
but uh, over the years, I've still sought advice from him here and there. And in particular, his instructor, which is S.J. Kim, uh, Grandmaster S.J. Kim. You've been interviewed, yeah. I remember that. Yep. No. Uh, foremost well, he, I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, I was about to say, he's one, he's one of the... Yeah. Even non-Taekwondo people yeah. know, know S.J. Yeah. Kim. It, he's... Taekwondo itself. His instructor was the founder of Taekwondo. The guy's 75 to 80, somewhere on there, just knows everything about everything. And surprisingly, some of the stuff that uh, I learned came from him, even though he's never physically trained me. I've talked to him, but uh, and I felt like a white belt talking to this guy. Like I was a third or fourth degree, and I felt like, oh, I've never, I don't know anything about martial arts. Just a conversation with him. But he had written something that he was writing a book years ago, and he had said something about sine wave, and about how when he met with uh, General Choi, the founder of Taekwondo, he had demonstrated his form, just like a white belt form. And he's like, oh, that's good, but that's not Taekwondo. And that piqued my interest, like, what are you, what are you talking about? And apparently he's like, you're not doing sine wave. Use your body weight. It takes no effort. Just fall into it. And uh, it's a rhythm. It's just a movement. It's a very natural movement. And so I kind of learned from that, and I started to develop sine wave based off of just that uh, paragraph, basically. And then when I went up to go interview him years ago, I asked him about it, and he gave me even more information. So I've developed uh, sine wave and other aspects of that just off of a quick conversation. And now, written down. now I'll say this about sine wave. And we do a very similar thing. I talk about it in, in our martial arts all the time on how can we get our body weight into our strikes. It's so mm-hmm. important to, to generate power. But one thing you said there that made me laugh is like, it's natural. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is so not natural looking for most people. Yeah. Now, master level people truly make it seem like it, it flows. But, man, for the average rank-and-file green, green belt, it looks like they're bobbing up and down like yeah. a cork in the water, man. And that's, to me, they're doing it wrong. Yeah, of course, because they're green belts. <laughs> I mean, you doing it, you look great doing it. You, it's, you know. it's a timing thing. So basically what it comes down to is just making sure you strike before your front foot touches the ground. If you do that, that's 90% of right there. Got another thing after we get done with this topic mm. that we can talk about this. That that's an important concept yeah. So along that lines. That, uh, those are big influences directly with Taekwondo or Hapkido or self-defense. Uh, beyond that, um, I have, I, you know, one of the reasons I know you is we, we've trained together. Uh, right. I've learned uh, like Tomfa and Sai, some of the stuff that you were teaching and me. And just being around each other. Yeah. I, I like watching you teach. And I like watching you teach. You know, I'll, we need to speak with. We need to really plan a uh, another get yeah, together yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. before long because, man, when we do. I get to watch all the other instructors in the area teach, and that's that's huge for me. Mm-hmm. It is, and, and I've learned from those other instructors and yourself. And uh, there's been some instructors in town, like Aaron Lawrence. He came over years ago. I think when he first moved here. <laughs> And uh, we trained together, and I learned a lot about throwing from him and his training with ju- judo. Isn't he like in Arizona now? Or yeah, something? I think so. Yeah. Uh, somewhere out there. Good riddance. But uh, <laughs> he, he's taught me a lot because uh, we worked together on some stuff. So a lot of the some ground defense stuff and some throwing stuff that I've implemented into my programs because it works really well. That compared to what I was doing in Hapkido with their throws. It just wasn't the same. Foot placement, 
mobility. It, you had a lot more balance off of what he was showing me. So I've implemented that and expanded on it. So stuff like that, just random people. And believe it or not, some of the stuff that's influenced me over the years since moving here is from people that were terrible. Oh, yeah. You can learn You can do. learn a lot oh, yeah. from, from terrible martial artists. Mm-hmm. I always tell my, my, my students, when you go to a seminar, you want them to either, on a scale from 1 to 10, you want the seminar to either be an 8, 9, or 10, in which case you'll learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Or to be a zero, one, or two out of ten, because you'll also learn a lot, and plus it makes for a good story. Mm-hmm. It's that seminar is like a five or a six. It's like that was okay. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, 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 not to give Aaron Lawrence a hard time. You know, I, he just rubbed me the wrong ways. I know his martial arts were good, but but man, that guy rubbed me the wrong way several times. He's got a personality. He's one of those that you either really like him or you really don't. I can see that. I just I really like him, so I. I have no problems with it, but I did, he never supported your events. I mean, that's my problem. You always mm. supported his, and that was uh, look. This is not that I want to sound like you know we were doing some kind of quid pro quo here, <laughs> but you know when you host your events, you've always been supportive of mine. I'm going to show up to your events, mm. even if, if 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 I'm the only one there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to show up because you're my friend, and it's important to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of martial artists that don't view it that way. Yeah, and I know a lot of people, life's busy, and for a lot of instructors, it's not their career, it's a part-time thing, and their career, their families really take up a lot of that. So I get it, Um, it it is definitely, because I I did that, I struggle with that as far as tournaments. There's only one tournament I go to, and that's yours. And I used to go to a lot, I used to go down to Myrtle Beach to all those, and out to like Dillon, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina border there. Um, but they never came up to mine when I did the two that I did. Um, so I'm like, eh, that kind of sucks. I, I put a lot of effort into those and used to go all their stuff and then they didn't come to mine. So I just, I stopped going. I don't blame all of theirs. Don't blame me at all. Yeah. It, it's just tough. I, I, I loved competing when I was younger. I did too. But the, the whole process. It's like traveling. I like being someplace new. I hate the travel. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> There's absolutely. a give and take there. And the tournaments are that way, too. But anyway, uh, th- you know, there's a guy in town, uh, and I, I, I'll be nice and not mention his name, but I'm guessing most people who know who this is. But uh, I learned what not to do business-wise because that's his thing is he's supposedly great at business. And uh, he had pulled me aside. And, cause when I first went to him, I said, hey, I, I've got a school in town, but I, I'm looking for a place to keep training because you guys have tournaments, and I'm trying to go for nationals. I need to keep training. i got to fly back to Nebraska at the end of the year and do well and not just punch a brick. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, come on in. And he blatantly lied to me. He said, oh, it's only going to cost this much. You'll never have to pay again. You don't have to do any of this. Like, all right, I'll do it. So I threw down a good amount of money. And then, of course, oh, there's testing coming up every month that is $60. Like, I, I don't need rank here. Like, well, you, you got to go. Like, so I got to pay 60 bucks every month now. Like he was going to make you go yellow, yeah. orange, just yeah. like you were already blah, That's bull crap. And, uh, I can't imagine that. It, it was one thing after another. Then apparently my contract was up, which I didn't know I had a contract. He's like, oh, you can't come anymore unless you pay another like four grand which it, the price had gone up like nah this isn't happening 
it, it was frustrating. But I met a lot of great people. Uh, other instructors that you and I know were, came from his studio because he got great instructors. He just wasn't one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and they all leave. Yeah. I remember that one guy he had. I don't remember his name. Uh, shows, look, I'm, I'm not a big fan of martial arts studios. They're like, we don't go to the other tournaments yeah. outside of our, our organization because they don't understand what we're doing. Most of the time because they suck. <laughs> yeah, they don't okay. want their students to know. Yeah, it's like, holy cow, we're horrible. We're only going against our own horrible people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that guy was at your tournament. And and I was I was wearing my red and white belt. And my, I'm a six degree black belt. And, uh, for those of you who don't know, and uh, we have uh, in Okinawa karate we have a red and white belt. You know, this is, can't looks like a candy cane. And uh, and he looks at me and goes, "That's a nice belt you got there. Where'd you get that?" And I was like, um, uh, "It's a that's an Okinawan karate thing. Uh, it's a when you get six or seventh degree black belt, depending on your lineage, mm-hmm. you start wearing this belt." And he goes, "That's pretty cool." I'm going to have to get me one of those. And I'm like, you're a fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, it doesn't work like that, dude. But uh, I was like, and of course, I had on the back of his, uh, um, Bob Smith, world champion. And I was like, okay, Mr. Bob Smith, world champion. And I was like, good way to go. And then, I don't know how many Taekwondos I've met that are world champions in my yeah. life. I mean, that's something. Okinawan karate people, I've never seen Okinawan karate versus claim to be a world champion anything. We don't have a world championship of Okinawan karate. It's like, we don't have this like thing in Miami. Who, realistically, how do you know make it the world champion? I mean, where are you going for this? Uh, you know, Sweden? I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's like just because you won a tournament in like uh, in like uh, Cleveland doesn't mean you're now the world champion. It's uh, for that association. It, it changes every year, but uh, sometimes it is overseas. But it's you're the world champion that year with your division within your rank and age. Oh, so, it, so I'm the green belt world champion of you, of, of sixty and above. Yeah, you could have <laughs> sparred one other person. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> uh, that's what I fig- that's what I honestly figured. But but you know, okay, I got a question for you. Yeah. Since you've become now, I'm not now. I'm not a big fan of the the term master mm-hmm. level instructor. I always I always say uh, uh, Jim Irwin, who we both love, and <laughs> and, and, and uh, Jim. For those of you guys who don't know Jim, Jim is an Okinawa Kempo guy who taught in Wilmington for years, and he's uh, he's a little rough around the edges. I love him. Yeah. He is 100 percent unpredictable. <laughs> uh, I never know what's going to come out of his mouth. I, I truly have a a. a a, an affinity for Jim, and, and I know he likes me, and I like him, and I legitimately, I know you do, I legitimately like being around Jim. Yeah. And he's a very good martial artist, oh, yeah. a very good martial artist. And um, in the, but when he was here in the eighties, he was a, he was kind of the closest thing we had to a John Kreese <laughs> in Wilmington. I mean, he was, he was really, really a, a, a brawler. He. Ran a dojo and his black belt adults were kind of wild and, uh, <clears throat> but uh, in in the early two thousands he really kind of rededicated himself to to being a Christian and, I, and he and I share this and and we were talking our faith and this is remember when he was over by Moe's? Mm-hmm. okay he was in there and I'm sitting there hanging out with him in his office and and I've told this story at my dojo a bunch of times I think it's it, it, if you want to know what Jim Irwin's like this story I think I think is, is the quintessential Jim Irwin story and. Uh, he goes, uh, he's like, you know, Brent, I don't, except he's got a New York accent I can't really do. I don't like the term master. He's like, you know, 
I was like, yeah, I know. I've never, I, I don't really have anybody call me master or anything. Mm-hmm. He goes, no. And he's got his Bible out. We've been talking theology a, a lot during the night. And he goes, you know why? I was like, why? He's like, because there was only one master. And they nailed his ass to the cross. <laughs> and, and the way I was in there like, wow, that's not really how I would have explained the crucifixion. Uh, okay. Well, I didn't know whether to go, yeah, or what? But, but that's you know, and, and I went out. I told my wife on the way home. I was like, you, you're going to like this one. Um, but, you know, that was, God, it's been more than 20 years ago now. It, but I... When I use the term master, once you've gotten to a certain level, because I think of Ishinru, I have a pretty high level of mastery. Mm-hmm. Of Taekwondo, Hapkido, you have pretty high level of mastery. What's something that's really changed your martial arts after you made a master rank? And I'm going to let you think about it. I got one that, that right off the get-go that, that kind of... But if you need a second. I can tell you what happened before to allow me to think, okay, I'm worthy of being called a master. Okay, excellent. I like that. The When I was a third degree, mm-hmm. physically, I felt I had done everything. I'm like, I competed, kicked some ass, got my ass kicked. Uh, I did this. I taught that. I run a school. I know all the, the grappling stuff and up keto. I know the throwing the ground. I know weapons, the, the stuff that we did. Uh, I knew Taekwondo, the kicking strike, and I knew Gumdo, the sword. I'm like, physically, I'm, I got this. I'm like, what else is there? Like, I don't know what else to do right now. Like, where do I do my next training other than learning a new form or something like that? Uh, and some basic material here and there. I'm like, I don't know what else to do to challenge me. So I started searching. Mm-hmm. And because I'm in my mind at the time thinking, I'm great. <laughs> right. And uh, Oh, how are you not? <laughs> I, I thought, uh, I ended up getting a book about pressure points and I I know basic pressure points stuff you know striking the brachial and uh, the mandibular angle like the, the stuff around the neck just stuff to assist instead of punching the chest know where to punch right very p- specific points uh, angle uh, of injury the yeah. whole nine yards yeah. and I'm thinking you know I don't really believe in dim mock but what if it's true so I, that's the the road I started going down. I started learning more about the meridians and uh, all the acupoints and this and that. And then started seeing some of the healing points and how to massage this and touch that and gouge that. And and cause massive repercussions. Yeah, yeah and that stuff's fascinating. It I, is. I love that. And I love what bit of it I understand is mm-hmm. fun. And as I was getting books on it and reading more and more, I, I discovered uh, it, one specific book, actually. One, not even just the book. The book wasn't that great. Uh, I think it was called like the Naiji Kwan or something, but it was just a bunch of interviews with martial arts masters, but geared more towards uh, that side of things, the the more softer side and um, uh, you know pressure points, uh, internal type of stuff. Because that's what I was kind of heading in that direction, thinking that's where I was going to go. And there was, uh, I think his name was Master Paul Daly, and never got a chance to meet the guy. He unfortunately, passed away not that long ago, but he had written in there. Um, you know, to to have the greatest army on earth or something like that, first you have to train, and then hope you never have to use that greatest army on earth. That you know that you, to have that mentality, basically, you have to train. You train for worst it. case scenarios, yeah. Yeah. and that uh, it, it's better not to get hit. It's better to avoid this, but you still got to train, so you have that option to not use it. Because if you don't have that option to not use it, use it, you you'd have no option. 
mentally that can destroy you. You just run away from everything. You, it's better to choose not to punch somebody in the face than to not be able to punch somebody and say it was something to that effect. Uh, and I'm kind of butchering his line there, but uh, that was like awe-inspiring to me. And I, I started reading some other stuff that kind of went down that route. And that's when I really got heavy into more of the mental side of it. So I kind of abandoned the uh, Dimock type stuff and the internal uh, stuff, and I started going into the mindset and what the body's actually going through with uh, altercations, mentally, physically, chemically. Uh, so that kind of like opened up a whole new set of doors for me to go through that I'm still finding new doors behind. Oh, absolutely. And so and, that was and, and if you do it right, you will for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and that it was that one missing door that I kept thinking, okay, there's only you know no doors left. And then I found that one that opened up to like five million more. That, that was that moment for me. And then as I keep going through more. And then you realize you are the master at Oh, all. yeah. I'm like, God, I, 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 it's like I'm a white belt again. And mm-hmm. then I built it back up to where I, I look back and go, shit, I've learned so much. Even physically, the stuff that I thought I knew was wrong because I wasn't doing it right. I'm going to steal that that door to all the other doors uh, mm. analogy. I like that. <laughs> um, one that on that note, on that line of thinking, one thing I always tell my students, and I don't even remember where I heard this, or it's somewhat original, but it, I'm sure I heard this from somewhere else, and it struck me. It's been years, so I don't remember where. A lot of people that don't take martial arts say, "I don't take martial arts because I'm peaceful." Mm. No. If you don't know how to commit great violence, you mm-hmm. are not peaceful. You are toothless. There's a big difference. Mm-hmm. I said, to be peaceful, you have to have the ability to do great violence and choose not to. Like, for instance, our relationship, the U.S.'s relationship with Guatemala. Okay, that's just random country. <laughs> Guatemala is not peaceful to the U.S., they are toothless. There is really nothing Guatemala can do to us as a country. Mm-hmm. We are peaceful to Guatemala because we could go right down there and wipe Guatemala. We, we could turn it to glass. Mm-hmm. So we are peaceful. I tell my martial arts students, we train to be peaceful. We come in toothless. We train to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you never have to use it. But if you don't train hard to use it, you, like I said, you won't have that army. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, the biggest moment, you know, I don't know if... It's one of those moments that makes me realize, okay, I'm getting this. And it's a little bit different than your discovery moment. This is one of those moments where you go, I get this aspect of it. And sometimes, have you ever found out, I was doing exactly what I should be doing, but I haven't been teaching it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, this concept comes from the concept of how you breathe when you strike. Mm-hmm. We teach our white belts to breathe as they strike. <sighs> breathe through. I found out that as you get a higher rank, we don't do that anymore. And I was at a seminar with actually some of my favorite people, and this Rick Moneymaker was teaching it. And Moneymaker would take uh, two boards, and he'd put a chair and just have them sitting there free, and he could just take his hand and go, and it seemed like the boards exploded, just laid his hands on. And I was like, that's, that's cool. And so he had each of us get up and do it. And I was the only person in this group of pretty advanced martial artists that could make this trick work initially. And I was like, why am I able to do it? And he said, well, here's why, because you're doing this aspect correctly. It was the concept of not breathing through your strikes that 
when you hit something, your breath stops right as you make contact. Now, I had apparently been doing that once I got back and I started striking this hit in the bags and everything. I realized I'd probably been doing that for years, mm-hmm. but I had never been teaching it, not even to my black belts, because I didn't even realize I was doing it. Mm-hmm. But I was, if you, at a higher level, if you're still breathing all the way through a shot, your 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 power fades dramatically. But the way I was hitting it here with this, I was like, this works perfectly. And I realized that a lot of the times, the difference between a, gr- a great martial artist and a great martial arts instructor is an instructor will figure out those things mm-hmm. and teach it to his students. I, I spent a lot of time, I always tell my students, I almost feel like I should go back in time and apologize to my <laughs> students that have been with me, that were with me 25 years ago. Because I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. Um, Josh Leaves, my senior student, and has been with me 21 years. I, I joke and say, man, dude, you... you, you. I, tell, I, I tell my students, now, you guys have much better instructors than Josh had. <laughs> I was like, because first of all, Josh knows more at Fifth Jury Black Belt than I did at Fifth Jury mm-hmm. Black Belt. That, that, and, and he knew more at Third Degree than I knew at Third Degree. Because when he was Third Degree, I was a Fifth Degree. And I knew more than, than my instructors had known. And so I was able to deliver that to him. I've also been very blessed in having a lot of instructors stay around and different people good at different things. And But it's that discovery in those moments of taking and saying, hmm, how does this work? A lot of martial artists really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some great martial artists who are miserable teachers. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, you know, I think the big thing for me is I think – I'm a, I, I think I'm a better teacher than I am actual martial artist. I've been at, like Josh, like we do Seijin Kata, or Katas that are really power-based Katas. And I wouldn't want to compete against him. <laughs> I mean, he's so good at them. And, and, and now I taught him, mm-hmm. He and I've helped him refine it, and through my dojo he's become this guy. But I have students that can beat me in almost every form I teach. Mm. And, and I'm in good shape. For those of you not listening, I'm I, I'm not I'm I'm I, I'm and still in my prime. But I have students that can beat me at every level, and I wouldn't want it any other way, mm-hmm. because I have forms like if I got Seuchin the first second kata we teach, and it's a it's a booger. I'll I'll tell Josh I'll, my adults say, hey guys, now you know the form. I'm gonna have Josh work with you. He's been winning trophies and and kicking butt with this kata since he was 11, and he's now 30. I was like, you know, go with Josh. And he's able to make them look that much better. Uh, there are some things, like some of the weapons and whatnot, I, I know I'm the best in my own school at, and, and, and I am. But there's other things that I'm happily not the best at, and, and, and I'm glad. But those, for me, that's probably the master moment, the recent one that comes to mind. There's a lot of little ones, um, and, and we're going to talk. And I think next we should talk about the thing you and I talked about mm-hmm. through text. I'll let yeah. you intro that because Dan and I will have these discussions that uh, that sometimes. Uh, well, a lot of times when I haven't heard from Dan in a couple of weeks. It's usually some god awful thing that's happened in the school. <laughs> Have you ever had someone, uh, someone throw up in your trash can, catch it on fire, then throw it at one of your employees? Oh no, I haven't. I've never had that. It's happened you, twice this week. <laughs> Have you ever had one of your students steal your car? Oh no, no, no Dan, I, I haven't. <laughs> I'm a lightning rod for this stuff. I don't. I don't understand it. <laughs> the. Uh, before I go on to that, real quick, something you had mentioned, uh, the, you kind of, 
the how bad instructors or really good uh, talented students are, a lot of times are bad instructors and somehow I feel I'm a good instructor but I was a good student uh, never the best though like it may be in this studio at this time I was the best whatever it may be but uh, I was a, I was great with detail if somebody showed me something even from a distance I could pick it up quick because I saw the detail and it, I could learn quickly because of that see I've got a couple of students like that like mm-hmm. Guy Sidberry who you know Guy yeah. is one of mine that, that he'll see hey you're doing it slightly different than mm-hmm. him who's doing what? what's the difference He's one of mine that pays great attention to detail. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm good at being an instructor because I see that detail. I can spot where those mistakes are. Uh, but the I had a student uh, a while back that he was frustrated that he just wasn't talented enough. But I'm like, that doesn't matter. You don't need any physical adeptness to be good at martial arts. Not to win a tournament or something, maybe. But... Uh, to actually learn this stuff and apply it, no. Like, because you're going to know it on a level that most people will not. Because you have to work so hard to get the technique that you don't rely whatsoever on your physical adeptness. I tell my kids, all, I tell my adults a lot that there's. Right now, if you decided you wanted to be a professional baseball player at, at 20 years old, if you weren't born to have a mm-hmm. 94 mile an hour fastball, you're never. I don't care how much you train, you're not going to mm-hmm. get there. But if you don't stop doing martial arts. Look at me and you. Here mm-hmm. we are, 30 years later, and both of us are relatively at a master level at it. If you do this and you don't quit and you keep trying, you will get a level of master. Mm-hmm. You may never be a tennis master. Yeah. You may never be a, a, a basketball master. But if you do martial arts long enough, you will you will get a mastery of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And the, that kind of goes into what we're talking about next here that I text you about uh, a technique that we have in taekwondo. Uh, I'd asked if you had it in karate, and kind of, sort of. Uh, basically, I'm referring to the, the bending stance in taekwondo. But I was looking for if there was a different name to it, because uh, my brother and I were having an, uh, an argument about it. Uh, when we basically, he doesn't teach it; he takes it out of the forms. Uh, there's a couple techniques that he just hates it, so he doesn't teach it, and. It frustrates me, but at the same time, I kind of get it. Like, if you don't understand what it is, you probably shouldn't teach it to your, your students, but why not try and learn what it is, or at least apply it to something? Because I didn't know exactly what it was, but I could apply it to at least two or three different techniques that I can actually use, and go, okay, I'm going to use it for this. It's the exact same motion. And so I put it into the curriculum with, uh, one, I was always teaching it in the forms, and two, I quickly research and go okay okay here's what i think it is here's what it might be here's what it could be and basically just picking your leg up and swinging your foot in towards your other knee so simplest explanation is that you're just lifting your leg in case someone's trying to sweep you you get your foot out of the way uh and it can also kind of get your leg up in position to quickly chamber into another kick also could just be shifting your body weight from one leg to the other yep and i'm like i could do that but i want to apply it a different way. I like to be creative about the thing. Because I, I use techniques from the form that I know people struggle with and go, I don't know what this is. And I, I make a defense out of it. And go, okay, throw a punch. Here's what we're going to do. And then you're going to use that technique to throw them or trip them or punch them, whatever it may be. And so I put this into a, a defense of sweeping the leg. So we block the arm out of the way and then that leg comes up, catches behind their knee kicks out their knee and buckles them as you throw them down backwards. It's the same motion. Uh, it works well. And I sent that to him like, hey, you can 
use this to help teach it so you can put it back into the system. Uh, he's like, oh, I don't see it. I'm like, what do you mean? I, I don't see the, the bending stance in there. Like, I see you doing, like, a reverse scoop kick type of thing. Like, well, yeah, that's the bending stance. It's like, no, it's not. But we just had this argument going back he, and He didn't forth. want to see it. Yeah, he didn't want to. He was kind of blocking out because he just hates it so much. When he doesn't like something, he, he hates it and just doesn't want to deal with it. Right. And doesn't want to learn that it might be useful. That's what it came down to. That's what I take it away from it. So it was frustrating, but that's why I had texted you about it. I'm like, if you don't know what the technique is for, do you still teach it? And that's the question. Like, If there's a technique in your form or just technique that you're taught, do you, if you're not have any idea what it's for, do you continue to teach it? Well, here's my thing. If I was teaching Brent Holland Roo, mm-hmm. and I invented all the techniques that I was teaching, and I didn't understand how one of those techniques work, of course I wouldn't teach it, because yeah. I invented... <laughs> if I invented combat and all, all fighting with fists, you know, that'd be one thing. Then I'm teaching... Who's, who's karate am I teaching? I'm I'm teaching Larry Isaac's karate. I'm teaching John Mazenhelder's karate. But you go behind the high above them. You got Sekichi Odo. You got uh, you got Azo Shimabuku on Mr. Isaac's side. On Mr. Mazenhelder's side, you got Joe Ruiz. You got uh, Berlargeron. Yeah. Uh, then you got on my Ishinaru side, you got Dan Glover, Tim Cunningham, all the way up to Tatsu Shimabuku at the top of that. But Tatsu Shimabuku learned from Chotoku Kian and and and. Miyagi and, uh, and and Motobu and before that you had a Tosu and, and Shibana. I mean, you have all these. Whose martial arts am I teaching? Mm-hmm. I'm not teaching Brent Hollins. <laughs> and so if there's a technique in there, and I and I look and I see it and and, and like okay, I, one of the katas I teach I learned from Mr. Perry years ago, uh, Sakugawa no Kuna Sabokata. Man, this kata it goes back. A couple hundred years, and there's pictures of, of, of it from the 1800s being done move by move. Well, whoever was doing it back in 1880 or, or, or probably had hit someone with that stick. <laughs> well, you know who's never defended himself for his life with a bow? And I've done a lot of bow cuts, a lot of bow drills, a lot of, and I, I'm great with weapons. I love weapons, but I've never had to actually defend my life with a stick. Mm. Okay, this guy probably had, and if he does a move. And he does it very specifically a certain way, and I don't get it. Do I take it out? Mm. No, that guy knew more than me. Yeah. And and I, and I think back. Oh my God! Imagine if I'd, I'd I'd had this mentality of taking things back out when I was a second degree black belt <laughs> teaching. Holy cow! There are things that I now understand as a sixth degree black belt. You know, twenty five years later. That I, I'm like, man, if I'd have taken this out back on as a second degree black belt and had no idea what it did, mm-hmm. and now I don't have one of my favorite techniques because now I get it. Now I understand what I'm doing there. Um, and there's a lot of moves and a lot of katas that I didn't get at all back when I was a 25 year old second degree black belt mm-hmm. as opposed to as a 46 year old sixth degree black belt. So, no, I never take a technique out. In that rare case where someone hits me on a technique that I don't have a great answer for. And there's still a couple here and there in our style that I have a passable answer for, mm-hmm. but I don't have what I consider a Master Brent Holland mm-hmm. level you know, <laughs> answer for. Um, I say, hey, here's what I think. And sometimes I'll answer, I say, well, here's what I know it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because this is what I was taught as a kid, and this is bullcrap. This, <laughs> this is not what it is. And here's what it isn't. And, you know, at times, 
that's as good of an answer as I've got. I remember with Mr. Mazenhelder, who I always had an answer for everything, and man, he revolutionized my weapons. I was doing such bad weapons before I got with him, and and uh, I got up to third dawn in his weapon system, and Hachi Isaac promoted me to fourth dawn in weapons not too long ago. So I, I love weapons, man. It's my passion. And uh, and there's this move in the Nantebo kata. Nantebo is for those of you guys who don't do Okinawa karate. It basically has a, a sigh on the end of a, a stick. Basically, it looks kind of like a spear looks mm-hmm. like for spear fishing. And you bend down real low, and you put the weapon behind your your neck. And I'm like, I looked at Mr. Mazenhill and I said, Sensei, what is that move doing? And man, I've asked that question to him a thousand times, and he'd always say, oh, well, come here, grab a stick, let me show you what this move does. And he always had an answer. I said, Sensei, what's that move doing? He goes, I have no clue. <laughs> I went, really? He's like, man, I've never been able to make that work for anything. And he looks at his senior guy, the one of the guy in the dojo that was senior to me in, in weapons, David Ward, and he goes, David, what do you think that move does? And David goes, I don't know. I have no clue. But we still taught it. Mr. Mazelander, who, who had been doing martial arts for 40-something years, still taught that move because it was in there. Mm-hmm. Whoever invented that kata thought that move was important. And that when, that when that, it becomes important that we don't change kata. Mm-hmm. If if I do the my form exactly like my instructor did it, let's go to Ishinur. Let's say that I did it exactly like uh, like uh, like Tim Cunningham, who did it exactly like Dan Glover, who did it exactly like uh, Russell Best, who did it exactly like Tatsuo Shimabuku. Tatsuo took it exactly from Chotoku Kian, who took it from Itosu, who took it, and then eventually, if we never change it, then what we're doing goes right back to what they were doing to defend their lives, and it all works. Mm-hmm. But as soon as somebody goes, I don't like that move. I'm taking yeah. it out. I'm, I'm not going to teach that move in that kata anymore. Well, that move might not even be the, mo- the move. That might be part of a series of moves that mm-hmm. makes this whole thing work. Well, when that happens, well, then your brother takes out a, a move of, of a form. And then his student, he has a student that becomes a master, and he takes two or three moves out of the kata. And then the next guy, the form becomes unrecognizable to what it's actually supposed to be from the people who actually invented it mm-hmm. to defend themselves. So I am a super big proponent of not... Um, Harold Mitchell used to refer to it as... Uh, um, how do you call it? Uh, at, well, it was basically adding moves to kata. If I have a move and my open hand is here, and it's up by your neck, I understand that... In the kata, I could turn my hand over and poke you in the eyes. Or even poke your hand with this way. I can poke you in the eyes. But that doesn't mean, since I know I can poke you in the eyes, that I didn't take that move in the kata and I do an eye poke in the, in the form. I understand where my hand is that I can poke you in the eye. I don't actually have to do the move because that was not the way it was designed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I, I am firmly in the opposite camp mm-hmm. of your brother on that concept. Yeah, it, you know, years ago, and this is a little bit different with Hapkido. Because the moves are done with another person. It's very direct. Here's how you do it. And here's how it's applied. Compared to like a kata where you have to have somebody tell you, okay, this is how it's applied. Uh, there was a handful of techniques that uh, I wasn't a big fan of. One in particular, uh, this goes around that third degree time when I thought I knew everything. <laughs> and I think we all go through that about third degree. And it's it's a move where someone grabs your wrist and you grab it, you turn your back to them, put their arm behind your back, grab their wrist, 
create a torque and then turn to face them again for a take. It basically it's a wrist lock, but you turn your back to them. I thought, why would I ever turn my back? I can just grab it in front and do this down. So I took that move out, and it was not even a year later. I'm guessing three weeks later, I was sparring with one of my students, doing some ground fighting. He took my back. He had my arm behind me, and I knew exactly what to do because of that movement. I grabbed his wrist. I turned right way, flew right off my back, and I took his took them out from there. And I went, oh, that's what that was for. <laughs> like yeah. even in Hapkido where you're actually applying this for your technique, you tend. We, I forgot that just because it's done this way isn't the purpose at all times. It's just the best way to train it. And that was somebody reaching across and grabbing by the wrist. But you could use this by someone grabbing you from behind or you're on the ground, which is how it came about. So I ended up putting it right back in. And all the other techniques I took out, I put them back in and just went, okay, there's a different reason for this technique. I'll figure this out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. And and, and Mm -hmm. that's the big thing. Being a lifelong learner of martial arts and not ever getting to that point, not staying, there's so many that stay in that third done, mm-hmm. third degree mentality that you and I both went through. Mm-hmm. They stay in that mentality of, I now know everything. Now, your students won't, my students won't, because we won't let them. Because mm-hmm. I'm, con- I'm constantly bringing in instructors, beginner. <laughs> I was like, but, but he does because he knows where my weaknesses are. When Mr. Isaac comes to my dojo, he doesn't train my students with the things he knows I'm already really good at. Why mm-hmm. would he? He knows they're already getting that from me. Yep. He'll take something he thinks that I need work on, and he'll show it to my whole student body, and so everyone gets it. That's the, I mean, why would I, why would I go to your dojo and, and, and do a kicking seminar? Okay, <laughs> You're a taekwondo guy. I've seen your kicks. They're better than mine, okay? If I go to your dojo and say, hey, we're going to fight tonight, and you're not allowed to kick. You've <laughs> got to punch the whole night. Now, I know your guys are our fighters, and they, and they would enjoy that, mm-hmm. but it would also be a little foreign to them. So mm-hmm. you go and you challenge people to be different. Um, you could come to my dojo and say, hey, you can't punch, and my guys would be like, oh, crap, you know, because <laughs> um, we are punchers. But it is it's it's it, it is important to not get that, not... One... And, and and I guess it's a little different for you. I've always felt like I need I need a direct instructor. Um, I've always had one. Um, even if I'm not worried about getting promoted, I'm a six nine right now. Who can, dude? If I never get promoted again, I don't care. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm the rank I want to be. Uh, but from uh, 1989 to about 1997, 98, I was with Brian Cox. From 98 to 2000, I was with no one. From 2000 to 2014, I was with John Mazenhelder for weapons and sheath theory. But I was from 2001 to 2012, I was with Tim Cunningham for Ishinru. 2014 on, I've been with Mr. Isaac. During that time, I've also, from 2010 to 2020, I've trained with Mr. Perry, Mr. Moneymaker, and Mr. Schaefer, all extensively at times. And uh, Mr. Schaefer, of course, you know, he, he wants to beat me up. Uh, Mr. Perry is in his 80s and one of the most amazing people I've ever known in my entire life. Mr. Moneymaker is, uh, is he's about 70-ish, and you've met him. You know, mm-hmm. he's a good guy. And these are all guys that I get to learn from, but I always have somebody, a big difference between me and you. You're Dan, you're one of the most easygoing, humble people I know. You really are. I, 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 I want to be, and I try hard. And one of the ways I, 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 I stay humble is by going to Mr. Isaac's dojo and reminding myself I don't know anything. I mean, he the world of martial arts is so big, and, mm. and my knowledge of it is so small compared to, my, to Mr. Isaac's. 
So that's how I do that. Yeah. It's tough. And you don't need that aspect as much as I do. Lord knows. It's uh, It'd be nice to have a, an instructor around here. Uh, you know, I do miss that, just going and training with somebody. And, you know, I've been caught up with so much stuff lately, and I've been learning from other things. You know, I, I read a lot, and I, I can, since I have a base in martial arts, I can actually look at a video or read something and go, oh, I see what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. You know, I can apply that to what we're doing. So I'm still God, learning. God bless YouTube. Man, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many drills and, and concepts I've yeah. gotten from watching other good martial artists on mm-hmm. YouTube and bad martial artists. And we've all laughed at horrible knife defense or gun defense. <laughs> gun defense is the best. Some of the pictures Dan has shown me from the books he has are just, just fantastic. Uh, classic stuff. Still, my, my personal favorite is, is that, that the one uh, in, in one of the books I have where they, they talk about this guy's look, sitting in a chair with his arms by his side and there's a an angry-looking Middle Eastern man pointing an M16 at the dude's temple at point-blank range. And I'm like, why in the hell would I allow myself to get in this position? I tell my students, it's like, look, we're not, we're going to train to not get in this position. If you get here, you do whatever the dude with the M16 says. Yeah. Uh, and the only way I, w- I would suggest trying to grab that gun is if he, if for some reason, says, I am going to shoot you in the next three <laughs> seconds and counting down from three. Three, then you move and you try to grab the gun. But otherwise, man, you just you want my wallet? Cool. You 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 want me to make out with you? I'm good with that too, man. You you want you want you you want me to give you a back rub, a nipple rub, whatever, man. I'm I'm good. I'm good with that. We can go. But but you know, we're standing there. That one where the guy's got the the. For some reason, everybody with a gun and these demos always want to point the gun at you. <laughs> At point blank range, <laughs> one inch from your face, you know guns are projectiles. Yeah. It's amazing you can shoot people from a distance, and, and, and there's not much because there's no real self defense if the dude's standing seven feet from you mm-hmm. and he's already got the gun cocked and pointed in your direction. He's gonna <laughs> blow you away. But it's like you know if I have a gun and Dan for some reason you you I, I have to kill you. Okay, I'm, I hope this never <laughs> happens in our relationship as you're one of my best friends. But if I have to kill you and I'm coming after you with a gun. I'm going to shoot you from about my current distance, about six feet away. I know I won't miss. I, I'm a good enough shot. I'm going to shoot. I'm probably going to start shooting when I'm about twenty feet away. Just bang, bang, bang as I'm coming up. Hopefully to take out you know your arms or legs or hopefully kill you on the way in. Uh, I'm certainly not going to wait to pull the trigger where I'm right on top of you. I'm going to zigzag out of the way, throw my <laughs> knife at you. I know. Pluck off your trigger finger. You can't shoot anymore. Then Curses! <laughs> I knew this would happen. I should have waited to shoot when I was right on top of his forehead. Oh, God. I, I see that stuff all the time. It, 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 I've been in seminars where, like, okay, you know, here's what you do with the, the they got a knife. Or if there's this going, I'm like, why would you do this? Why would you be here? Don't. Just give them the wallet. <laughs> one, time, one, time, one time I tell the student, I tell this story to my students downtown. Uh, I was going downtown to, um, Touch the library back when the library used to be open a little bit later. This is like the early 90s. I mean, library like closes at five now. It used to stay open <laughs> at like eight, okay? And so I'm going down there in winter and I'm going down one back street, cu- cutting up to the downtown library. And a dude comes out and he's like, He has a knife. And he's about my distance, you Dan and I are about six feet apart now. And he says, Give me your wallet. And I looked at him and I'm like, A martial artist, I could do all kinds of things. You know what I did? I ran. <laughs> I just turned around. Yeah. The guy looked like he was in his 50s. Here I was. I was in my early 20s. I was in top shape. I was fast. I was skinny. Pew! I took <laughs> off running. 
Now, I, I, I was banking on the fact that this guy wasn't like an Indiana Jones, like, uh, you know, like I turned, he's going to throw the knife and stick it in my back, and I was going to hit the ground. Uh, the, the, I, I did zigzag like an alligator has chased me for a, few, for a few feet. But, you know, I was scared. I figured I can outrun this guy. Yeah. I bet the guy went and bought a gun after that. Because if he had a gun, my, my entire situation would have been different. He's like, give me your wallet. I'd have reached back. I'd have got my wallet, and I handed it to him. I'd been like, here you go, dude. You knock yourself out. Don't shoot me. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's always funny. It, and I'm sure you've had this before. People come in and go, you know, how long does it take for me to learn self-defense? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I it could be six months where you feel somewhat confident. It could be six years. Like, it just it depends. You know what? I, and on that note, mm-hmm. I absolutely do not teach self-defense seminars. I've changed it because I used to teach physical stuff yeah. for fun because that's what people want. Really, I'm teaching them awareness and prevention, and then I'll give them some fun stuff to physically do, but I'm really teaching them how to avoid all this stuff. Right, because here's here's my philosophy on why I don't teach it. Um, okay, my especially women's self-defense. Mm-hmm. I absolutely refuse to do this. It's like because my seminar would be the most boring seminar on the face of the earth. <laughs> like, well, what do you do if you're attacked? Poke them in the eye. If you want to spend two hours practicing eye poke with me, then, then because realistically, okay, I, I am six foot two. I'm two hundred and thirty pounds. I'm a big, strong guy. If you're five foot two and one hundred and fifteen pounds, and I grab you, I don't care. And I'm untrained, and you're some a black belt. It don't matter. If I grab you in anger, you're in trouble. Okay. Kicking in the groin is a myth. Mm-hmm. Dan, right now, and you're a master kicker. You kick me in the balls, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> I'm not going to fall on the ground clutching my nuts going, oh, I'm going to be mad. Like, you kick me in the nuts, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> There's only two places where you can hit someone that, with, with as an amateur that you're going to have a relative amount of success. If you're strong enough, me and you, if I if I unblocked punch you in the neck or the throat, you're mm-hmm. in trouble. Okay. Now if I if I get a clear shot at your neck and I punch you as hard as I can in the neck and you look at me and go, Urgh. you know, my I always tell my students, you know what your next move to do is what? Apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I didn't mean to punch you in the neck. I, I don't know what in the hell I was thinking. And there's this one technique we have that has five punches after it. And I'm like, why only five punches? It's like because if you've hit somebody five times and you haven't knocked them to the ground yet. You're not going. The sixth isn't going to help. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, so, and um, and and so you know, the other place, the great equalizer is the eyeballs. Mm-hmm. I can take a woman that's five foot two and 115 pounds and stick her to stick her thumb, socket deep into someone's <laughs> eye and, 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 and pull, and whatever that guy was planning to do beforehand. Mm-hmm. He's not going to want to do afterwards, and it's going to give you a chance. And then what do you do? I say, run like hell. You run. <laughs> grab your rape whistle. Start blowing on it. I was like, you know, because that's it. That that That's all I got. That, mm-hmm. Let's do this for two hours. Okay, everybody. Okay, here's your – everybody a rape whistle, and, uh, and then we're going to practice poking. Uh, I, I, let me get some oranges out. We'll actually practice with an orange. You can poke the orange. <laughs> And uh, and then when you're done, you start blowing on the rape whistle. If I, if, I, if I brought that to a seminar, people would be mad, but that's really what I teach. They say, well, what do you teach then in your school? I, I say, I teach everything that, that makes you able to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And I say a good idea is a year. Mm-hmm. By the time most adult students have been with me a year, they're capable of defending themselves from the average situation. Mm-hmm. But I was like, if you want to learn this in three hours, like it, look, if I, I said, okay, if, you know, 
Dan has secretly wants to become a banjo master, which we can all imagine Dan playing the banjo. From if I say you can spend a year learning the banjo and this is how good you're going to get, or we can have a three hour banjo seminar and let's see how good you're going to get at the banjo. You're going to suck at the banjo after a three hour seminar. It's the same with self defense. Yeah, it is. There, there's there's nothing you can learn in three hours that's going to save your butt. Yeah, it's all comes down to conditioning. You just have to do it thousands of times. Yeah, end end of story. Yeah, some people they can do it in five hundred times. Some 20,000 times before they get good at it. It's Everyone's different, but it's the training. You have Repetition. to condition it. Yep. It's got to be instinctive. If you have to think about it, it's over. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And until you do it that many times, you're going to be thinking about it, and your brain is way too slow to react. Absolutely. It's got to be second nature. Yep. And you have to have a... I remember another thing, another martial arts thing, you know. Why why, why do we fight each other? Why, you and I have sparred a few times. Mm. You know... And our, our matches go on for minutes. Okay, real fights don't go on that no. long. Even if you and I fought, it wouldn't go on mm-hmm. that long. I, I say, first of all, let me preface by saying, the person that wins the fight nine times out of, no, 99 times out of 100 is the first person of the two that are fighting that decides to do the most violence. Mm-hmm. If you and I are talking junk, and all of a sudden I have resigned myself to totally destroying you and going gorilla <laughs> on you, and I decide that first. I'm going to win that fight most of the time. And you know, in, nah, I forgot where I was headed with this, but that that that's that, that's a super important concept. You've got to be prepared to fight. But mm-hmm. when you have all these techniques, and we we each teach hundreds and hundreds of techniques, mm-hmm. if I were to attack you right now for real, you have about five or six techniques mm-hmm. you would use. Yep, that's it. So do I. Realistically, I have about three techniques I'm going to use. You're going to see three techniques. I'm really freaking good at those three techniques. Mm-hmm. And I've done all three of those techniques tens of thousands of times. <laughs> and, and and the truth is, with my best techniques, they're almost, they're almost, to the average person, they're pretty close to unblockable. And I had an instructor one time, Mitch Koblansky, who's a good guy. Mr. Koblansky said, if you have your best technique and you're fighting other other students with it, Keep using it. Mm-hmm. Only use it until someone figures out how to beat it. Yeah. And then come up with a new unbeatable technique. But go back to the well. I mean, and if if, if I had to fight you, and I know you can fight, you're not going to see some kind of spinning back kick. <laughs> Hell no. You're going you're gonna to see my best techniques. And if you beat those, and either I'm going to get beat up or I'm going to improvise something else, but you're going to see my best, and I'm going to see your best mm-hmm. first. Everything else is just to sharpen senses, make you stronger, and, and, and above all, and this is where Aaron Lawrence and I had a massive issue, when he said, we don't fight in my dojo. Mm-hmm. Our, he actually said the most masturbatory uh, uh, te- comment of all time, I hope he doesn't, actually I do hope he listens to this because <laughs> I hope he never says this again, our techniques are too deadly to perform on each other. <laughs> Uh, bullshit. <laughs> but, what? D- 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 so you're going to promote someone to black belt that's never been punched in the face? <laughs> you know, I remember when Manny got his nose broken? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was an eye-opening moment for Manny. Mm-hmm. When Manny's been punched in the face, he was really punched in the face. And he mm-hmm. kept fighting through that fight. Yep. And, and, you know, and that's what you do. Part of martial arts, I had a lady come in and tell me her granddaughter, I don't want my granddaughter ever to fight. And I said, then she doesn't need to train here. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, I don't I don't, I don't want to take your money. Yeah. Take her somewhere else. Why? Because 
was imagine if I wanted to teach you how to play basketball. I said, I'm going to teach you how to play basketball, and we're going to do everything but actually shoot mm-hmm. at a basketball goal. How good would you get at basketball? You might learn how to dribble, but you'd never learn how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. It's like karate is about fighting, and if you never fight, if how many, Dan, on an estimate, just vague estimate, how many times have you been punched in the head in your life? <laughs> or hand- kicked in the head. How many times have you been struck violently in the head? <laughs> Can't count that, huh? I know. For me, it's in the tens of thousands of I've this got point. the scar right here to I show you the worst one. I've been beat stupid. And there's that feeling. You know that feeling when after you get done fighting, you've been fighting for like uh, you know, multiple rounds, 20 minutes, and you, you're overheated, and your head you take your headgear off, mm-hmm. your head's ringing, you're overheated, you got a little bit of a headache, and you're a little bit out of breath. It's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> I love that feeling. It's an addictive feeling. And if I never gave that to my students, mm-hmm. the first time they get hit in the street, they're going to call it. They're going to yep. they're going to lose their composure. Mm-hmm. I teach my students that fighting is fun and and as soon as I get them so used to getting hit in the head that if someone took a swing at them on the street they'd be like my friends hit me harder than this <laughs> people I love smack me around more than this mm-hmm. and that's so no don't look if you're a martial arts instructor and, and, and you don't like to fight you just what well, just say hey guys I don't like to fight I'm a bit of a wuss okay I, I don't want to fight or I'm too old to fight or I'm infirm or, or every time I fight my bowels get loose don't tell people <laughs> your techniques are too deadly to fight because I have some pretty dang deadly techniques too don't you Dan <laughs> you know for instance you know what I don't do when I'm sparring my buddies like Dan I don't punch them in the Adam's apple it's like come here Dan wham yeah. I know I can but I don't <laughs> deadly techniques yeah, yeah it's uh, the I've had this issue with uh, sparring with specifically Hupkido because oh, we can't just spar with the stuff that we do. We have to break it down. There's still a way to do it. I'll I'll say re, we'll restrict it. I go just kicking and striking for this round, and then it's just grappling, no kicks and strikes, and then it's just takedowns. Whatever you want to get them down, we'll stop once it hits the ground. Right. It, like there's ways of training and sparring, even with things where maybe our technique is you have to break the arm first, and then you do this. Otherwise, the arm's not going to move the right way. Yeah. There is that, but uh, I'm not going to do that on my students. But there's still ways of training to set it up. There's still ways to get used to dealing with the punch coming in right away. So there's aspects of sparring that can still be done. That that's where I'm coming from for that because I've had that same conversation with him before. Like I I get it shouldn't be a competition all the time, but uh, I need to see how the body moves. I I can figure out how someone's going to punch me just by the way their shoulder moves. I got a question. When's the last time you heard this one? I still hear this occasionally, especially in the karate world. In karate, we don't strike first. It's karate mm-hmm. is for self-defense only. My All blocks my... are your strikes. God, your strikes you're, are, yeah. you're, if you don't strike first, you're going to get beaten a lot of fights. Look, once I've ascertained, if, if on the way out, out of here this afternoon, I say something that makes you angry enough, and I have come to the conclusion that you are about to attack me <laughs> physically. I'm going to hit you. I mean, I'm not going to wait for you to throw a punch. My God, you're a good fighter. You might knock me out on the first shot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be in a fix. Once I tell my students, once you decide that violence is inevitable, that you that a physical confrontation is going to happen, don't take chances. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. not not to quote Cobra Kai, strike first, strike hard. <laughs> no mercy, no mercy. But <laughs> but the truth of it is, that is the best advice. Mm-hmm. Strike first. 
strike hard <laughs> and then keep striking. Yeah. Go gorilla on the people, man. Mm-hmm. Hit with everything you got and keep hitting it until they can't hit you back and then go get mm-hmm. out of there as fast as you can. Well, it's uh, one of the techniques, I, a situation that I teach. Anybody that says, I need to learn self-defense quick, I teach them a combination and a situation where there's somebody 10 feet away, whatever it may be. You don't know who they are. You know that you can't just run away. I'll give them a scenario like you're kid just locked themselves in the car so you can't just take off running leave your kid there but this random person's walking towards you what do you do can't just start punching kicking you don't know what they want so i we get in position hands up like whoa whoa stop right there what do you want very clear it most people the average person that's good will stop and tell you if they're have ill intention they're going to keep walking even if they're telling them what they're doing they're going to keep walking in which case you have the right to hit them that you've already told when, them yeah because you've, you, already told them. you've said you've been very clear Stop where you are. You've said it twice if necessary. You've said stop, ask questions, and they keep coming towards you. It is now your turn to create the self-defense scenario. You have to attack because it's already a defensive situation. You know there's going to be something going wrong. You have to start. You can't wait for them to punch you or grab you because then it's over. Right. They've initiated. You put them on the defense mentally. Absolutely. I, and I tell them that because when I start teaching, and the first thing I do is kick somebody in the leg. They're like, wait, isn't that offense? I'm like, yep best defense right there mm-hmm. take out their legs and then we go above that we're going to hit nerves the whole way up and we're just going to keep going until they're on the ground like you're not going to take a chance with this when you know it's a threat you have to initiate i, I couldn't agree more mm-hmm. i mean that, that that's exactly what we should everybody should be teaching as a martial arts instructor and you know oops I'm just my head here just uh, throw it on the ground on the ground <laughs> um you know and that's why why we do fight so hard uh, we started wearing some years back. We started wearing you know boxer type headgear, mm-hmm. really thick ones, not because we're scared of getting concussion, because we want to come harder, faster. We wear sixteen ounce gloves now. We come hard so that if if someone d- attacks us on the street, you know we're used to seeing that speed and that intention. Uh, it's it's we try to kill each other out there and and. and with the, you know, we don't punch the necks, we don't try to poke the eyes, but we mm-hmm. do everything else so that it's as real as possible. And we have bloody noses, we have broken noses, we have black eyes, we have we are bruised up one side and down the other, but we're prepared. And when you say things like, our techniques are too deadly for fighting, that's... <laughs> That's setting your students up for a hard reality. Mm. Now, I know every instructor that's ever said this will say, my students never lose a fight. Mm. And guess what? You know, I've had students, my students have beaten people up. My students have been beat up, okay? You never know. But if you, you do your best to prepare them. And then one thing I'll say, I had a, I had a girl some years ago. One of my uh, one of my students, uh, Sebastian King, is great a great student. His older sister was a brown belt forever with me, like four years at brown belt continuous because she couldn't she wasn't a good fighter, and I didn't didn't feel good enough. She knew the forms back and forth, she knew the techniques back and forth, but man, she sucked at fighting. And so I finally realized that she was never going to be a great offensive fighter. I said, Elise, I really do want to promote you to black, but I really do want to work with you on this. You, I, so what we're going to work for the next six months to a year is I'm just going to beat you up every time you come to the dojo. <laughs> and you've got to get good at taking a beating mm-hmm. so that I know that you can get away if this happens. 
And she got a little better at the offensive side. Man, next thing you know, man, I could smack her around and she'd keep coming <laughs> after me. And I'm like, well, you know. And she still never, she was never going to be one of my best fighters, mm-hmm. no matter what. But it, she got there. And my goodness gracious, I will say this, for a person who was not your typical martial arts student, she could look at her friends and say, do you know how many times a grown man has punched <laughs> me in the head? It's like, Hundreds of times, a grown man and, 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 and uh, has punched me in the face and head, and, and and so you know, so if someone did it to her on the street, she'd be like, "Oh, thanks, Brent. I remember you, all these times you punched me in the head." But yeah, you know, but think about kids on the playground. Mm-hmm. They get hit in anger and they start crying, not because they're in pain. It's mm-hmm. never about pain. It's about the surprise of the violence done on them. Mm-hmm. And if you can take away that surprise, and even maybe. Tie it in with fun and stuff. That's why we play dodgeball. Oh, yep. Then you, you then it, it, it totally takes the, the the stigma away from the from getting struck. Mm-hmm. And so when that lady came in and said her daughter can't fight, I said, I looked at her. I said, well, then she probably doesn't need to train here. And I walked off. And then the whole story changed. She yeah. had to stay in anyway. But <laughs> but I was like, I'm not gonna. I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not bendable on this. No, it, it's too important. That was my first experience. My very first fight. I was like eight or nine. And I, it was a friend of mine. I didn't realize how upset he was until he started punching me in the face. And I'm like, wait, what is this? What is happening? And it didn't hurt. It was just shocking. Like, I couldn't react. I didn't know what to do. And then eventually broke from it, grabbed him. We went to the ground. Like, dude, sorry. I didn't know you were that upset. But I remember that. And I remember both the, the reaction of being frozen for a moment and that it didn't hurt. I had two black eyes, but it didn't hurt. Because you don't notice it, and that carries with you that shock. And so, being punched in the studio when you're sparring, you just brush it off. You got to keep moving. And uh, we years uh, when I when I was working my instructor years ago, uh, bef- I think it was before I got into like heavier sparring. It was more lighter stuff at the time. But we spent a class just punching each other, like learning how to breathe at the right time, mm-hmm. and how to tense up and just punching each other and you know it's like throw some light ones and then randomly throw a hard one that way you don't know which one it is you're not just taking a beating the whole day but you're going to get hit and that's the way it went and eventually you go oh okay i can deal with this that didn't even get knocked back i'm, I'm learning how to take a punch and it's one of the most useful things for self-defense just learning how to take that punch i tell my kids especially the kids adults i tell them too but i say okay you've just been hit that kid comes to me crying i was like Stop. I need you to think. I really need you to think right now. Mm-hmm. Does the pain you're feeling, is it worse than it was 10 seconds ago? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always no. Yep. By the time you've registered getting hit, the pain is less than it was. Mm-hmm. I very seldomly, do you actually, are you actually in pain when you're upset about getting hit? Because mm-hmm. now, now if they break your nose or break your arm or something, yeah. I was like, if the pain's worse, I need to know because you're injured and, 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 and we need to do something. Mm-hmm. But if the pain is less... Give it another 10 seconds. It'll mm-hmm. be gone. Yep. And, and, and it's getting them out of the mentality of, I've been struck. I've been wronged. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. I'm crying. And, you know, it's like, yeah, one thing I do, was, this is just a little side note, funny thing. Uh, I, I've said, you know, if you can take any grown man or any, any boy that, that has any self-worth and they hit, uh, and they hit you. I, I said this in front of my class and, and Josh Lee wasn't there. I'm a senior student. I said, if I look at you and you hit me and I go, you hit like a girl, the next strike is going to be everything you've got, okay? <laughs> and so, and they're like, and my students like, every time I was like, dude, in my experience, 100% of the time, I was like, next time Josh comes in, 
It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And so the next time that's classed up is I walk up to Josh and I kinda hit him mid speed in the chest and he hits me back and I went, Dude, you hit like a girl. He he put his bag down and hit me on the next shot. Wham! My whole class starts laughing. They all start laughing. And Josh is like, What? I was like, Well, you just pretty much proved my point to me. And, but yeah, I knew I knew I was gonna get pounded. I knew I was gonna get, get the crap hit out of me. It was totally worth it. Um, but you know, it, it, it's it's you know, but I'm masoch- We play masochistic games at my dojo. We 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 do stuff like that. We, it, it's stupid, but it's you know. Uh, Mr. Schaefer said something one time that was kind of funny on one of those stupid games we play, and someone said, "Why do you guys do this?" And he said, "Tough men play tough games." <laughs> and I was like, "I like that. I'm so going to steal that. That's such a great great phrase." Uh. Well, I think we got through everything. Yeah, I think so too. So this went long. If you're still listening at this point, God bless you. <laughs> the uh, the best thing to take away from this is go get punched in the face. Yeah, go get punched in the face. <laughs> um, poke eyes, know how to poke eyes, and, uh, and, and and keep training, keep training, get yep. better. All right. Until next time, that is it.